We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. What we're going to be addressing tonight and what the writer uh, is addressing in this particular passage of text is vanity in religion. Do you think there is any vanity in religion? Do you think there's any vanity in the way that we serve? These questions are rhetorical. The answer to each of them is yes. Do you think there's any vanity in the way that we'll tell God, Lord, if You will do something for me, Lord, if You'll heal me, or if You'll touch this area of my life, or if You'll help me here, then I promise that I'll do better. Do you think there's any, any vanity at all in our empty promises? Do you? And I know y'all are the faithful ones. Right? I know this. But I want you to ask yourself if in your walk there are anything vain. Has this become for us a routine? Something that we just do? We come in, we sing X number of songs, we hope the preacher preaches for X number of minutes and no more, and then we go home, and we hope that we either sing off the wall or out of the red hymnal, or we sing our favorite ones. Because in that it will make me feel good. And the whole time we miss out on the whole purpose that we're singing. Do we find that our worship is ever vain? Do we find that our service is ever vain? Even among the faithful. I want us to ask that question. So we're going to explore that a little bit. And we're going to see in this text, we're going to see some warnings. So the first thing is we're going to look at, and we're just going to look at the text. And I'm going to try to point out a couple of different things as we go through it. And then after that, we're going to take a step back, and we're going to ask ourselves, what if we fail to hear the warnings that are given to us in God's Word? What if? Because here's the thing that I'm afraid that we think. We come post the cross and we don't have a God that would do anything that we would think would harm us. We serve a God of love and we forget, we forget that the greatest act of love was in drinking the cup of His wrath. Do we understand that? Do you understand that when Christ was in the garden, that He wasn't stressing over death? That wasn't what was bothering Him. I want you to understand this. Church history tells us many stories of men who died bravely, women who died bravely, singing songs to God. Were they more holy, more righteous than Christ? No, not one. Let what pass from me? 
but your will. This cup, what was that cup filled with? That cup was filled with the wrath of God. And if He does not drink that cup for us, we poured out on us. So we're going to ask ourselves the question, what happens if we fail to heed the warnings that we find in God's Word? The second thing that we're going to ask, because we're going to look. I want to give you a picture of what we're going to do. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes. All right, I want to give you a little bit of time frame here. The book of Ecclesiastes was likely written no further back than 931 B.C. And don't, have, don't worry, you're not going to have to do math. I'm going to kind of, you know round things for you. So 931 B.C. Now we're counting down to Christ. So that's 931 years-ish to Christ. The last book that we get in the Old Testament is what? The book of Malachi. It's a prophecy. We're going to spend some time looking at it tonight. After Malachi pins the words of this book... There's no prophecy for about 430 some odd years. And then we find Christ. So God goes silent after He speaks the words that we find in the book of Malachi. And the book of Malachi holds for us both a warning and a promise. And I hope tonight that as we look at Ecclesiastes and we look here at chapter 5 and we look at vain religion and the warnings that are placed out there and then we examine in Malachi what clearly... So, 931 for something. We've got about 500-ish years between the writing of the book that we're going through now and the writing of the book of Malachi. So they've had 500 years. In this time, the temple that Solomon was a part of constructing is destroyed and another temple is built. And we see, in a 500 year period, what can happen when our religion becomes vain. I want us to ask the question, as we're looking at this, I want this to be in the back of your minds this entire time, can we do better? Can we do better than they have done? Can you do better? That's what I want you to ask yourself that question. Can you do better? Can I do better? As we're looking at this, I want you to examine your own lives for vanity. I want you to ask yourself, can you do better? And then over all of this, what if we don't heed the warnings? Right? So that's kind of the big picture. And we're going to find hope at the end of this. It's not going to feel that way for some of it, but it's there. So let's begin reading. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. As you enter into the house of God... Keep your ears open 
and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty to bring matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth, so let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to Him. It's better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry and He might wipe out everything you have achieved. Talk is cheap. Like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. So there's a couple of things that I want to look at this and see. The first we can find in the opening verse of this chapter. As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. What truth can we see? This is, does this word seem a little harsh? Maybe a little? Maybe like shut your mouth and listen. Maybe a little? But what do we like to do? We like to talk. We like to run our mouths. And we find it very, very hard to listen. How do I know this? How do I know this? Because I would wager a bet, if I were a betting man, that if I surveyed you, not just by asking you, but by watching you, that many of you spend way, way, way more time speaking to God than hearing from Him. You think that you do well in your prayer life. Yet you don't know what to ask because you've not spent time enough in His Word. You'd rather talk to Him and tell Him what you need or what you want rather than open His Word and hear from Him. True? Is it true? Even among us, the faithful crowd, is this true? So one truth that I want you to understand is it is better for you to listen to Him than it is for you to go around running your mouth. Like He needs to hear something from you. Like He doesn't already know every single one of your needs before you ever speak to Him. Like you have to inform Him of what's going on around you. As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open 
and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. What kind of offering are you bringing to God? I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. Is your service to Him mindless? Is it mindless? I want you to be honest with yourself. Do you know, and we're going to get here, but I want to point you to the correct answer. We get, don't be mindless in your offering. Don't be mindless in your service to Him. Contrasted with the New Testament truth that we're going to find in the book of Romans chapter 12, where after 11 chapters of pouring out the gospel and the work of Christ, He tells us what an offering we need to bring. Does anybody know what that offering is? Your lives. And He starts that off with what recommendation? Don't follow or conform to the ways of the world, but renew what? Renew your minds. And you fail constantly in your sin because you like to talk instead of listen. You like to talk about how sorry you are instead of Listening. Because it's in this that you will renew your mind. Alright? It's not going to be picking up the latest book at the Christian bookstore that's going to do it. Though that might help. I'm not saying that's bad. But I'm saying when you neglect this, who are you listening to? Yet we do it. We do it. Is is this not why we don't even ask who reads their Bible anymore? I might offend you. I might offend you if I ask you if you listen to God. Are any of you prophets? Do you listen to them in dreams? Be very wary if you do. It might be a demon. Do you listen to Him? How are you going to listen to Him? You're going to do it once or twice a week when you come and sit here? My Lord, I fear that the only time that you would hear from God is if you hear it when you're here. How do you even know if the preacher speaking truth. How do you know if I'm speaking truth? Do you know that the times in church history when the church has gotten the most trouble is when the church leaders have said, listen to us. Don't worry about reading it yourself. Don't worry about what God's Word says. You can trust us. 
Read it. So that your offerings to Him are not mindless. Because I'm telling you, if you fill your mind with worldly things, things found under the sun, your offerings will be mindless. Fill your mind with the truth of God's Word. For your own selves. So that your lives are not mindless offerings to Him. Renew your minds in His Word. Verse 2. Don't make, we're going to cover a couple right here, and you could put all of this under the heading of empty words. All that we're going to read in the next couple of verses, you could put under the heading empty words. So we've looked at hush your mouth, listen to God. We've got don't be mindless in your offerings to God. And now we're going to see don't be empty. In your words to God. If you say you're going to do it, do it. Don't talk a big game and then not back it up. Talk is cheap. So verse 2, Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty to bring matters before God. How many of us have failed in that? How many of us have made promises that we've not kept to God? Lord, if you would only do this, then I would do that. Check every single one of us. Because we're hasty and rash. And we don't listen, but we want to talk. After all, God is in heaven and you're here on earth. That's just for some perspective. Let your words be few. Too much activity gives restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. You can work and be active in the church and it be for nothing. Your activity in the church if not directed for the glory of God, will be vain, will cause you many sleepless and restless nights, and in the end, will be like straw in a fire, just burnt away and shown to be nothing. Let's let our activity be for something. Too many words make you a fool. That is self-explanatory. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. So talking too much makes you a fool. Not following through shows how evident your foolishness is. Because as soon as it gets better... 
You forget your end of the bargain. This is true. Keep all the promises you make to Him. I'm going to read that again. Keep a few. Maybe y'all's reads different. Maybe I have a, a weird translation. Keep a few of the promises. Has anybody got that one in theirs? Is this what's back there on the wall? We're not even in that verse. Verse uh, 5. Or, no, it's the end of that one. Excuse me. Yeah. It's better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. These truths are so simple that you don't need me to tell them to you. If you would listen, if you would open this up and not neglect it, don't let your mouth make you sin. Again, empty words and empty promises. Vanity of vanities. And what do we do? What do we do? He's got that covered. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That's what we do, right? Lord, I'm going to serve you in this way. Lord, I'm going to do this. I promise. I promise. Well, maybe that wasn't my calling after all. Right? How many times have you seen that from others in the church? We start well and we finish poorly. And all throughout the Scripture, we're told that we need to finish well. We're so hasty to take up something when it seems fun but let them act up back there. Let them act up. Let them say something to me. I'll drive you home to your mama and your daddy right now. Wait. Maybe you're going to drive them home to an empty house. Let me raise my voice at them. So that they can hear the same thing here that they hear at home. Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, I want all the nations. I want all peoples. Don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry. Can we make God angry? Can we? Can we? Would He crush us? Would He? Do you know? 
Are you waiting for me to tell you? He might wipe out everything that you've achieved. Everything. Should I say it again? Everything. Everything that you've achieved. What did we talk about last time? We talked about motivations. We talked about success and what it means to be successful. Do you think if our lives were really lived in chasing after the glory of God and the proclamation of His name to every nation, to every tribe, and to every tongue, that that verse applies right here. That He's going to wipe that out. Is He going to wipe that out? No. No. Quickly. No. But, when we achieve things, even if they're religious things, we can go from a church that's packed out and we're needing to build a new one to do I want to ask y'all to crowd together in one. Church, here's the truth. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Like daydreams or other useless activities. Fear God instead. I'm going to say that again. And I want to, I, we're going to do a little bit of just, y'all go fact check me here. Yare. Y-A-R-E. The word here translated fear. Do you know where it's, what it's translated as? Everywhere else, just about. Fear. Fear. So we, like three times you get this thing translated reverence. And none of those are here in Ecclesiastes. Fear. Every time. Fear. And I'm talking fear like trembling fear. I'm talking fear that would make the Son of God sweat drops of blood. Fear. You think he was scared of death? He feared God. Talk is cheap. Fear God. Church, fear Him. I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about this. Because we, we think in, so you got, you got the bad guys, right? Let's think in it in that way. So you got someone evil coming after you. And they want to hurt you. You call somebody, right? So somebody's breaking into your house, you call somebody. You're going to call the police. If it were to be a whole nation, you would call your nation. You would go to war. What happens when the one who has set himself against you is one no one can save you from? 
That there would be no hero who could stand against Him. This is the one who you would fear justly. This is what makes the Gospel such an amazing message that it would cause men and women to die for it. Christ drank the cup of the wrath of God. And when He was finished, He set it down and He said, It is finished! Read the book! What happens when a people don't heed the the warnings that God has set for them in His Word? It's a question I want us to think about. I'm going to go over to Malachi, and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to ask you, church. I'm going to ask you to go and read this book. I'm going to read bits and pieces of it. It's a short book. I'm going to ask you to go and read it. I'm going to ask you to listen to God. When I stop this, you go home and get in this. Because that's when it's going to click for you. Right? That's when it's going to click for you. So we're going to start... In Malachi chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 6, and I'm going to read quite a bit. I'll point out where I feel something needs to be pointed out. We're going to kind of skim through chapter 1 and 2, and then we're going to ask some questions. So this is what happens to a people when they don't heed the warnings of God. Verse 6, The Lord of heaven's armies says to the priests, A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. If I'm your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? You've shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. I'm going to read that again. You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. What kind of offering are you bringing to God? What kind of offering are you bringing to God? I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. What's the best offering you could bring to Him? New Testament. Draw from it. What would be the best offering you could bring? Somebody. What is Romans chapter 12, verse 1? Somebody flip there, please. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. To offer your bodies to God 
as living sacrifices. And I ask you, what kind of sacrifices are we bringing to Him? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my offer, on my altar. Then you ask, how have we, def- how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of God deserves no respect. Verse 8, when you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? Isn't it? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Isn't it? Isn't that wrong? Don't you have better? Don't you have better? I want you to think about that question because we're going to readdress that. Don't you have better offering that you could bring? I I want us to readdress that. Is your offering blind animals? Is your offering crippled and diseased animals? You know what he says in that? Try giving that to your governor. If that's the best you got, try giving that to him. And see how pleased he is says the Lord of heaven's armies. The Lord of what? Heaven's armies. Right? Who is this that is saying this? This is the one that we should fear. Okay? This is the one that we should fear. Verse 9. Go ahead. Beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should He show you any favor at all? Why should He hear your cries when you're bringing that kind of offering? Why? Asks the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 10, How I wish... One of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your sacrifices. Shall I read that again? How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And I will not accept your offerings. I will not accept your offerings. I don't know if I could say that any louder without this thing screeching in my ear. Let's flip over now to chapter 2, verse 17. And I would... Like I say, go home, please go home, read all of this, especially when we come to the conclusion that we're going to come to later. If, if it's going to impact you more, if you read everything that we find in this book, the last prophecy, the last prophetic book before the coming of Christ. Verse 17 of chapter 2. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Where did we end? Over in 
Ecclesiastes. Talk is what? Talk is cheap. What should we do instead? Listen and fear God. Good answers all around. (laughs) Talk is cheap. And what do we find? Like I say, hundreds of years now, the warning's not been heeded. Not a single person has feared God. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied Him, you ask? You have wearied Him by saying, All who do evil are good in the Lord's sight, and He is pleased with them. Church, I want us to look at ourselves, and I want us to look at the culture around us, and I want us to ask ourselves, Are we not there now? Are we not living in a time where we are calling what is evil good? And I'm telling you that it is only going to be pressured on you more and more. And I pray for my children today because they will likely endure it more than I. You have wearied Him by saying, all who do evil are good in the Lord's sight, and He is pleased with them. You have wearied Him by asking, where is the God of justice. And I'm sure when they read this in response to that, they're not saying, hey, I'm, I'm not asking that question. I know who the God of justice is. I know who the God of justice is. All the while, God's like, you're bringing crippled, blind, and diseased sacrifices to appease my justice, knowing that it cannot, yet you do it anyways. Are you not asking, where's the God of justice? Can we do better, church? Can we do better? I want you. I want you to answer me this: Can you do better? Can you do better? If you want to say it out loud, say it out loud. Can you do better? Can you do better? Can you do better? And you're all absolutely wrong if you think you can. You are the crippled calf. And this is why we need the gospel. If all you had to bring was you, if all you had to bring was you, 
Where's the God of justice? Apparently not here where crippled lambs, crippled calves get by on the altar of God. If you think you can do better, you're fundamentally wrong because you cannot do better. Understand this, and we'll get there. Romans chapter 12, the verse that we read, came after 11 chapters of the pouring out of the work of Christ and our need for it. So the only time that your life can be a living sacrifice is if it's been covered in the blood of the Lamb. Let's continue on. Let's read a little bit more in Malachi. So that was the hard stuff. So the prophet speaks the hard stuff and then speaks promise. So the hard stuff comes at the Ecclesiastes type service. Right? The Ecclesiastes type religion. Religion that you're going to find under the sun. What I can do. You think you can bring a good enough offering to God's altar. So does the rest of the world. So does the rest of the world. If I'm good enough. If I do more good than bad. No, you're crippled calf. And God does not, will not, could not, if He was a just God, accept that offering. And it's in the backdrop of this that the Gospel and the need for Christ stands out. Chapter 3. Again, read this whole book, please. Chapter 3, I'm going to look at verse 3. And this is speaking of God. This is speaking of God. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to God. Could they just walk up in the Holy of Holies? Could they? Like, like a priest is like, I'm going to walk in there and I'm going to offer sacrifices today. What would happen? He would fall dead when he stepped in. What did he have to have happen first? He had to be purified. He had to have an offering for his own sin made. Does the picture of what's going on in the Gospel not jump out at you in this? Chapter 4. The wrapping up. The wrapping up of the last book of prophecy before Christ. The last book that was God's spoken Word before the apostles started pinning theirs. What does it say? I want y'all to, if you have a Bible with you, please open up 
to chapter 4. I want you to see this with your own eyes. I want you to hear it with your ears. What are we looking at in Ecclesiastes? What are we looking at? What have we said was vain? Everything where? Everything under the sun. Solomon, 500 years prior to this book being written, he ends the book, and we're not there yet, but we'll get there one day. He ends the book with fear God. Right now we're talking about vain religion. And he says, talk is cheap, fear God. Fear God. Under the sun, church. Your religion is vain. Under the sun. Chapter 4, verse 2. I'm going to give you a second to get there. If you hadn't turned there, I'm going to give you a second again. I want you to listen to this. This is the hope that's set on the backdrop of the wrath of God. Verse 2. But for you who fear my name. What does it say? What does it say? But for you who fear my name. The Son. S-U-N. That thing for which in Ecclesiastes everything done under it is pointless and vain, including your religion, we have a promise that a son will rise. Do you see the prophetic pointing to Christ? In this, what happened three days later after He finished the cup of the wrath of God? What happened? The sun rose, church. The sun rose. Do you know how it rose? Do you know how it rose? You you cripple sheep without Him. You cripple calves without Him. Do you know how He rose? He rose with healing in His wings. He rose with healing in His wings. And you know what the promise is? Y'all follow me here. I hope that this has been connecting with you along the way. I hope this has been connecting with you. And you will go free. Leaping like calves let out to pasture. How can crippled calves leap? T 
tell me. Tell me. He's risen with healing so that even our religious vanity can be clean. This is the hope. This is the gospel. Not that God set aside your sins, but that the justice of God was satisfied. The cup of His wrath was finished. And bef- Read the whole Bible. Read the whole thing. You'll see this. Before He bowed His head, before He bowed His head, so He said it's finished. And then what does He say? Into whose hands? Into whose hands does He commit His spirit? He dies knowing He's satisfied the justice of God. Because He was made sin for us. And before He breathed His last breath, He knew. He knew into whose hands He would rest. And three days later, The sun arose. The sun arose. And that sun has not set since. We're in a new day. Church. You're offering, apart from Christ, your service, as holy as you might think you would be, would be like crippled lambs. Being laid on his altar. But the promise that they waited hundreds of years to see fulfilled was fulfilled in Christ. Now we go to Romans. So the gospel is laid out. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So, so, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. In verse 2 Tying again back into the mindless sacrifices that we saw, or the mindless offerings that we saw in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2, Romans chapter 12. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Not you transform yourself, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing.